When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Belinda Huijian Tang is the author of A Map for the Missing, a novel. She's a 2021 graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, where she was a Truman Capote Fellow and recipient of the Mishner Copernicus Fellowship. 
She holds a BA from Stanford University and was a 2019 work-study fellow at the Middlebury Breadloaf Writers Conference. She lived in China from 2016 to 2018, and while there, she received an MA from Peking University in Beijing. She currently lives in Los Angeles. Welcome, Belinda. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Tell listeners, please, about A Map for the Missing. So Map for the Missing begins when Tang Yitian receives a call from his mother back home in China that tells him that his estranged father has gone missing. Tian is currently a professor in the United States, and he and his father have not spoken in over 15 years. Um, so the story follows Tian as he travels back to China um, and looks for his father, and it also unfolds the story of their original estrangement, um, which happened back when Tian was growing up in a village in rural China at the very end of the Cultural Revolution. And why, why did you write this story? So the story is based on something that happened to my own father when he was growing up. A lot of the elements from A Map for the Missing are are drawing on my own family's history. Um, It's based in the village that my family is from in Anhui province. And my father grew up there. He was the first in his family to leave the village to go to college. And when he got into college the summer before he was supposed to go to the city to start, his own grandfather went missing. And his grandfather, like Etienne's grandfather, father in the book had been the one who had really raised him and inculcated this love for education and learning in him. And so my dad spent that summer riding trains around the province trying to find his grandfather and they never actually were able to find him. And so that was a story that I'd grown up with hearing a lot about, but obviously I knew it was like something that was really difficult for my dad to kind of touch and talk about. And so for me, writing the book was a way of exploring the story that always like weighed heavily on me and I could tell weighed heavily on my family. Do they have any guesses as to what happened to your grandfather? Were there any clues? Um, not really. So he, my grandfather, he, my great-grandfather, my dad's grandfather. I'm sorry, was, your, your dad's grandfather. Yeah, yeah, he was older at this point. For me to say what happened to him in real life might spoil some of the book, so I won't okay. say much about it. But yeah, they they really never found out much information. It was a different time. It was like 1980. One or 82, I think. So there just wasn't, you know, like a set up system for looking for people. How does your dad feel about the book? And, And even the fact that you were writing the book about his family and is it something he was okay talking about or something he preferred to keep sort of shoved down? It was interesting because I also had trouble talking about it with him. And in a way, our our relationship in real life is like mirroring aspects of the book because the book is in a lot of ways, dealing with like a family's failure to be able to communicate, be able to talk about their love for one another. And I also really struggled to talk to my dad about this book when I was writing it. I wrote it really actually without asking him much about his, his own story. And I wrote it based on my memory of things he had told me. And it was only really at the very end after the book had sold and after I'd like finished a revision with my editor that I felt really like I have to show this book to my dad because it's based so much on him. And I, it was like very emotional to finally have that moment. Like you told me you cried and he wrote me like a letter based on, you know, what had actually happened. And we actually like, we still haven't talked about it very much after that, but we did like have that major moment around it, which, which felt important. Wow. Crazy. I mean, what if he had, what if he had said no? Like what if, what if after you go went through all the edits and you showed it to him, he was like, I don't want this out there. Yeah. That would have been interesting. I never (laughs) thought 
about that. I think. I mean, I know it's. I know it's fiction. I know it's fiction. Right. So right. Like you yeah. need permission, but yeah, I felt confident that fictionalized enough that it wouldn't feel like Tang Tian is my dad. And then I think the other thing is that like, I really tried hard throughout the course of the book to like give Tang Tian moments where we could see his closeness with his family. And at the end of the book to make this like feel like a, a story of growth for Tang Tian, that he can realize something at the end of the book that this journey has put him through that allows him to realize that, you know, he didn't start the book with at the beginning. So through my love for that character, I would hope my dad would not have said something like that. But I don't know what I would have done had he been like, <laughs> give the money back. You know, the book is not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I saw you went to Iowa Writers Workshop. Is Did you work on this there? Or tell me about when this started and how you got into writing to begin with. Yeah, so I started the book probably about half a year before I got to Iowa when I finished the draft in Iowa. Um, and it was a really like important time because I was in a workshop that was all people that were working on novels and I got a tremendous amount of really great feedback. So that was when I finished the book and revised it and sent it to an agent. So that was... I, at Iowa, I did the biggest chunk of work on this book, I would say. I had started thinking about this story probably maybe four or five years before I even, before I started actually writing it. And I knew kind of like when I started writing creatively at all that I wanted this to be the very first um, novel that I wrote. But for a long time, I felt like this story is so important to me. And I know I'm not ready yet. Like I don't have the skills to write this story. And even when I actually did start, I wasn't sure like I'm ready to write this yet. It just felt like, okay, this is, you know, time to start. I didn't start writing until after I graduated from college. I'd never written creatively until like my very last semester in college. And I took a class like on a whim because I was about to graduate and I just loved it. But I also, I think, because for me, I felt like I'd started kind of later compared with everyone else. I had a lot of hangups of feeling like I'm not ready. I'm not good enough yet. And that's why it took me a long time kind of, I was writing alone in my room. I was really like practicing before I felt ready to start writing this novel. Wow. So what was your plan? What were you going to do had you not taken that class after college? I had majored in economics and I worked in economics research for a couple of years, actually, right after graduating. And I wasn't at that point sure at all, like I'm going to become a writer. I didn't actually really even think about it until I was at my first job. And I was like, you know, experiencing what a lot of people feel when they start working, which is like, wow, this is really not for me. And this is awful. <laughs> and I was just you know, sitting in my cubicle every day. Like, I can't believe I like majored in this and thought that I was going to like do my life in this field. And that was when I was like, well, what else do I like? I really enjoyed that writing class. And um, I started writing more on my own and to kind of staking a little piece of land for myself there. So you started writing a little bit on your own, but then when did you, like, were there intermediate steps or did you just apply to Iowa? Like, I'm always interested in how people yeah. end up there and, you know. There were intermediate steps. I'm like, I wanted to do, I like I said, I had this really big feeling like I'm not good and I'm not ready. And so I really want, I was like, I need to get skills. Um, so I like took a couple community writing classes, both in San Francisco and at Stanford through continuing education. And like, I really recommend that for people who are like, I'm interested in writing because it was like, a nice way to really explore and not feel like I'm blowing my life up. You know, I still have my job. I still am doing all the other things that like 
I, I could do if this doesn't work out and I don't really like it as much as I thought. And after I'd taken a couple of those classes, I felt more certain. And it was at that point that I um, left my job and I went and moved to China for a couple of years. And I went there to do a master's degree, but also I had an opportunity to do a fully funded master's degree. So I thought, let's do it. But also because I felt like I was writing so much about China and I really wanted to spend time there. Um, and so for me, that felt like the first time that I really made a decision to say, like, I am going, I want to be a full-time writer and I'm going to actively, you know, change up my life so that I could pursue that. And where did you go in China? I was in Beijing for two years. Wow. Amazing. Did that, I mean, that must've colored how you wrote about everything, right? I mean, how you must soaking up all the culture and everything. I mean, that's a stupid, stupid observation, but I mean, you know, (laughs) must have really changed the, the tenor and the depth of the narrative. It was so important to like how I wrote and how I saw the world and definitely for this book. I mean, I think the biggest thing I left China with was like a sense of, uh, it's like corny to say, but I felt like a strong sense of belonging to my family there. You know, like I'd grown up in an immigrant family in the U.S. and we, my, my dad was the first in all his family and on both sides of my family to ever move to the U.S. So we really didn't have any relatives and I kind of grew up accustomed to one way of life. And when I went to China, it was just amazing. I had so many relatives and I just felt this sense of like, wow, this is what it feels like to have family around and just what it feels like to have a strong sense of belonging um, and to feel like there are people always looking out for you. Um, I thought it's like incredible that people grow up with this sense and have this feeling. Not to say like my family life was impoverished or anything, but we really, you know, didn't have a sense of community in that way. And it really made me think like how amazing it was that my parents decided to leave this when they decided to immigrate to the U.S. They decided to leave this place where they had all this community and belonging. Um, And what a weighted decision that must have been. And that really, I think, influenced this story in the book very strongly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card.
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. And where did your mom fit into all this? My mom's story is a little different because she didn't grow up in rural China. So um, the book is really about rural China, I think. But my mom does have a little, a part of her life has been written into the book. And that was um, around China's college entrance exam, which plays a huge part in the book. So the college entrance exam in China, it's a huge deal. It's like I describe it as like the SAT on steroids is only offered once a year. And it's at the end of everyone's senior year of high school. If you get a good score, you're into college. And if not, you're kind of screwed. And so it's just like so much is writing on this one exam. When my mom was in high school, like back in the eighties, when my parents were in school, it was even harder to pass. Like now, I don't know, I think maybe 70% of people are able to pass, but then it was like in the single digits. There's so much pressure on this exam. And my mom like failed it year after year after year for three years. And it just got harder and harder for her to take, I think, because, you know, I'm an anxious person, the anxiety around it kind of snowballed. And that that story in the book makes it to Hanwen's character, because she's someone also who like, she has all the tools, she's smart, and she just for some reason cannot pass this exam. And then it really comes to reverberate throughout her life. That's how I feel about my driving test. I just kept feeling <laughs> over and over again. Did you pass eventually? Yes, now I drive, but it took a little bit. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Why can everybody else do this? You know, yeah. planning like, I'm going to drive out of here. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to drive out of here at all. I'm going to have to go back and practice in like the parking lot again. Yeah. Totally different scale. <laughs> not a- <laughs> Can barely be compared. <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. Life-changing failures. Always fun. <laughs> so what was it like having the book finally come out and and all of that and being a debut novelist and and everything it was a really exciting time. I think being a debut novelist is so hard because, I mean, it's not hard in comparison to other things that are much harder, but in a way, when it is something you care about a lot, it does feel hard because you really have no idea what to expect. And I think you feel a little bit like the process is very opaque. You know, you don't really know what's going on. My publicist sometimes sends me stuff and then other times, you know, you don't hear anything for a week or two and you're like, what's happening? Um, and I have spoken to a lot of people who had their first books come out the past year. And I think we all experienced some version of that and of just feeling anxious and nervous and kind of in the dark. In the midst of that, I would also say it's like been really rewarding. And I think, you know, once again, a cliche to say, but the most rewarding thing has been to meet readers and to have people tell me what the book means to them because it was such a personal story for me. It was so rooted in my own family's history. And because of that, I was obviously nervous about writing it in a way because I was worried, you know, are people going to think this is supposed to represent all of Chinese history? Or is this, you know, are people going to be mad when they feel like I'm not representing their family's story or their own version of events? And instead, it has been really, really meaningful for me to have like, you know, Chinese immigrants and the children of Chinese immigrants like I am come to me and say, like, I felt so much about the story of this novel reflected like a life that I knew or the life that my parents told me about. And it helped me think about those things. It's amazing to be able to connect with people that way. And I don't know any other way that 
you know, I could have done that besides writing a book. So that feels really special to me. Oh, it's amazing. Are you working on anything now? I am working on something now and it's really different. Um, It's set contemporaneously and it's about kind of like a rogue scientist. So yeah, it feels really different and I'm drawing a lot less on, on personal family histories and doing much more like kind of research into historical figures. And so it's putting me in a like much different skill set and it's a new set of challenges. Are you ever going to weave your economic background into one of the narratives? Do you think? I think, yeah, I think I might one day just because when I quit economics, I was like, this field is so boring and I don't know how people do this (laughs) for their whole lives. And now that I'm a few years out, I think, okay, there's a lot of interesting ways that I, I find it really interesting how people really rely on economists to tell them truths about the world. Like, You know, it's so interesting to me that in the White House, there are so many economic advisors and we really, you know, trust them. And I, having been in that field, I think that trust is kind of misplaced. (laughs) And uh, I know how much guesswork is involved in all the advice that they give and all the theories and predictions that they run. And so I would be interested in writing a character that kind of explores that, that that would be fascinating to me. And yeah, I, I hope that everything in my life will eventually make it into my writing and serve it in some way. Well, now I have a whole new bucket of things to worry about, which is the liability (laughs) of all economic projections and data in the entire country, but that's okay. Great. It's okay. I needed something new to worry about. My old worries were getting really boring. So I'll throw this one in the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Why worry about your personal life when you can work about the entire country? Yeah. I mean, I already worried about the country, but this is just a particular slice I hadn't worried about. I had taken for granted. So, oh, well. Okay. So tell me about what you like to read and, you know, what you're sort of hoping for the next year and all that. Yeah, it's so interesting. I I think historically, like I love to read short story writers and I love to read really quiet and understated stories. Some of my favorite writers are Alice Munro and I love Edward P. Jones and William Trevor and these kinds of writers. Right now I'm in, I do a part-time job where I lead book clubs. No way. Yeah. It's really interesting. And so because of that, obviously they are always reading contemporary fiction. So I'm reading much more contemporary fiction than any point in my life. And part of it is I like, I enjoy it. I find it really readable. And then I'm also seeing like a new value to reading really contemporary things because like all of these books are commenting and many of these books, I should say, are trying to comment on some moment in our contemporary society. And I find it really interesting to be engaging through fiction in authors' ideas of like, what are the problems in our society? How do we write them, write about them in a fictionalized manner? Um, it's also really helping me grow my own writing because I'm in- interested in engaging with those questions as well. Like I wrote this first book that is very much historical fiction. And, you know, my, I had one agent ask me like, what is the relevance of this to the world now. And I was like, I actually, I don't know. This is a family <laughs> story and like, maybe it's irrelevant. I, I don't know if that's the role of this story. And now I'm very much trying to write a book. I think that comments in some way on contemporary life. And um, it's really interesting for me to be also engaging with all this fiction that is doing the same. 
Wait, so what book clubs do you work for and how did they hire you? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's through an organization actually in LA, um, a company called Literary Affairs. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, know, um, you know, Julie Robinson. So she's my boss. And oh, no way. That's so funny. I've been doing this in LA, I think for almost a couple decades now. I've inherited some groups that have been meeting for like 20 plus years every month, which is crazy to me. So yeah, I I have clubs through that. Wow. That's great. Um, I'm opening a bookstore in LA. Oh, you are? Yeah. Yeah. You should come back. Where is it? In Santa Monica. Okay, cool. What's it going to be called? It's called Zibby's Bookshop. Okay. Awesome. Do you know um, like what street in Santa Monica it's going? 11th. 11th in Montana. Okay. Yeah. I would love to stop by. Do you have a... We're having a... Yes. We're having opening weekend, February 18th and 19th. If you're around, you should come. I'm trying to organize a bunch of author signings and stuff if you have any interest. Yeah. I would love to come. That sounds amazing. Okay. Yeah. Well, after this, just like send me what time slot because I'm making a whole schedule. We want to like make a sign and be like a festival, mini festival in this time a little store, which is like the size of this room, but that's okay. <laughs> so we'll see if uh, we can do I'm it. I'm so excited to come see it. Do you have a store in New York already? Nope. This is the first one. Cool. Why did you choose LA? We have a place in the Palisades. My okay. husband's a producer and his company is like based out there. Okay. So we go back and forth. And when my kids are with my ex here, I go out with my husband there and my nieces and nephews are all there. And yeah, it's like our happy place. And I thought people would really appreciate it there, which they are already doing. And if I opened one here, nobody would even care. I looked at spaces here first and the rent was so crazy. It was like, I don't know how any store stays in business in New York City, honestly. So I got a much better situation in Santa Monica. Yeah, that sounds great. There is just kind of like a low density of bookstores in LA compared with New York, I think. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am can't wait. So that's great. Well, so I'll see you in like three weeks. <laughs> Amazing. Well, congratulations on your book. I'm sorry again that this was so delayed, even, I mean, for you and me and both and whatever, but it's been really interesting to chat. And I was just wondering before we go, what advice you would have for aspiring authors? I think I would say something I try to tell myself a lot of time is just to be comfortable taking your time with writing and with the work. I think writing really is like, it's so different from a lot of other practices in modern life that we try to speed up and try to force. And I think um, I find like my writing really resists that in a lot of ways. And I have to, a lot of times like fail through multiple drafts in order to get to the right thing. And that can feel really frustrating when you're used to operating at a different pace and everything else. So um, something I've been trying to tell myself lately is just to trust the writing and trust the process of that and, and not rush things. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on and hope your cat continues to do well. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. And I'll see you soon. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Meeting. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.